Hello, and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 79. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well, feeling good. I'm feeling great. I am ready for this podcast because I had a protein-rich breakfast of steak and eggs this morning. My folks were in town, so we went out to breakfast. It was lovely. And I am fueled with mucho calories and the aforementioned protein to wow you with Atari goodness today. But first, the news. I read two Atari-related comics this week. I finally got around to reading Sword Quest number one, and I also read Centipede number one. They are both awesome. Centipede is... I don't want to say too much about it because that just came out, so a lot of you may not have read it yet. They are gearing up to do a more of a darker revenge story, really, than sort of the, certainly way darker than the DC Comics Patian, the Patian comic that came with the game, you know, all those years ago with uh, little Oliver and the, uh, the, the wizards and, and little fairies and whatnot. This new comic is not that. It's actually more of a revenge story uh, focusing on, on one person in particular, and I, I'll just leave it there for now. You should check it out, though. It's really cool. And Sword Quest, I could tell from the preview issue that came out, and, of course, we talked about more about this, I think, in episode 67, when I had a Conversation Bites segment with uh, Chris Sims and Chad Bowers, who wrote the comics, who are writing the comics. And, uh, and now that I've seen the preview issue and issue number one, I can see that they are clearly going in a very interesting direction. Issue one ends as any great issue should with a little bit of a cliffhanger, and you're like, no, I, I want to know what's on the next page. What's in the next panel? And, uh, you know, what's going to happen? And that's that's what you want, right? So you keep coming back. Uh, so check those comics out. I've said it before, I am excited that Atari is becoming a thing in other mediums. Maybe at this point we're not getting new official you know, quote-unquote official Atari games. We're getting that new Atari box thing later in the year, I guess. I don't know, though, if it's necessarily heralds necessarily heralds any new games. Of course, there's all the great homebrews and stuff, but but I like being a storyteller myself. I like that Atari is branching out to take all these great characters and concepts and ideas that went into the the great games from long ago and turning them into something new like comics and, you know, the, the movie we've been promised, although news has been pretty quiet on that for months and months and months. I have not yet worked out my screenwriting deal, uh, but I haven't forgotten Atari. I am still available if you want me to write the screenplay for your Atari movies, any of them. I don't care. I'll do any of them you want. I am also open, uh, Dynamite Entertainment, I'm also open to write uh, some comics for you, making up stories about Atari games. It's kind of what I do here every week, and I am a writer, done some playwriting, written some stories, published a novel several years ago. I can do this, so, you know, Dynamite, look me up. In other news, as I record this, within the previous week, we've been saddened by the news that George Romero, a legendary director, passed away. He, of course, is famous uh, for a number of classic movies, including Night of the Living Dead, uh, which I am embarrassed to say I have never actually watched. As so often happens when somebody famous like that dies, you're suddenly inspired to go check out their work that you were not, for some reason, inspired enough to check out before they died. But I do have loaded up on my Amazon Prime machine, and I think it was free. So if you want to check it out, uh, I don't know about his other films, but Night of the Living Dead uh, was available for free with your uh, Prime membership 
if you want to go check that out. I have it loaded up, you know, queued up to, to watch. I just, uh, with kids and podcasts and work and stuff, I haven't been able to find a two-hour block in the evening uh, to sit down and watch a, a movie like that. So, uh, But I still intend to, because uh, I know it's a classic, and, and I want to check it out, as long as, as well as other ones that he, that he made. If you, any of you have any thoughts on Romero or his work, or if you can somehow make a link between his work and Atari, let me know. What else is going on? So, I mean, we all know that Atari had its heyday in the 80s, of course, uh, for a while. Actually, as it turns out, a relatively brief period. Seemed to be able to do no wrong, right? It was, I don't know if this is a, a totally apt comparison, but it was kind of like the, the Apple or Microsoft of its day for a brief period in the sense that it was hugely influential. Everyone was looking at what they were doing uh, and they were making money, you know, hand over fist. And then, of course, it all sort of went away. And, you know, in 2013, they filed for bankruptcy, and, and things are looking pretty bleak. But they're kind of bouncing back a little bit. Yeah, I mentioned, you know, a moment ago about how they're doing other things to try and get the brand out there with the comics and the, the movies and whatnot. The new, other new thing they've got going on, they are developing an interactive entertainment production company. I read this article titled Inside Atari's Brand Revival on uh, alistdaily.com, uh, just talking about, you know, sort of how... the what they're doing now with this new product that they debuted, I guess, at Comic-Con, I think, which uh, just happened. So the article you know, discusses how they are trying to more uh, widely brand, uh, license their brand and, you know, provide a little extra revenue for the company as they try to do new things. They have developed a smart baseball hat. I'm just, uh, I'll quote from the article here. Atari describes the smart baseball hat as a social synchronous broadcast application that enables multiple speaker hat users to experience music and other programming simultaneously and in perfect sync. The audio-wear-powered, Bluetooth-enabled Atari speaker hat will be complemented with a limited-edition Blade Runner 2049 version, which can be experienced at Star at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, or was experienced there, I guess, by the time you're listening to this. It's apparently just one of many wearable uh, technology things that they are getting into. Apparently there's some product placement in the new Blade Runner movie. Uh, I'm going to be honest here and admit that I've never seen the original Blade Runner. It's another one that I've got in my queue to watch, but I just haven't sat down and done it. But there was, at the time of the original Blade Runner, there was some product placement in that movie, and they've done it again here in the new Blade Runner. The article goes on to say, With hopes of cashing in on the resurgent popularity of retro games, Atari is jumping back into the video games sphere and appealing to middle-aged customers. Hey, that's me! With the Atari Box, a new home uh, video game console, its first new console in 24 years. And then they go on to interview Frederick Chesnays, which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly, Atari CEO and Chairman of the Board, and Michael Artst, Chief Operations Officer of Atari Connect. Uh, I won't uh, read all of that, of course, uh, but do check out the article. It's very interesting. Those guys just started talking about you know where Atari goes from here with these new uh, product placement deals and you know, wearable technology and um, you know things of that nature. Uh, basically trying to get their, their brand out there, marketing-wise and, and uh, messaging and all that sort of company, corporate-speak type stuff. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, check out that article. It's kind of interesting. What else? Oh, troubling news in the world of Muppets. Oh, no, I'm doing a Muppet, you know, Kermit flail here of, you know, worry and freaking out. Kermit the Frog just got fired. Okay, not exactly. So what happened is... Steve Whitmer, who has been the voice of Kermit the Frog since Jim Henson died in 1990, apparently over time, it sounds to me like sort of started to embody the personalities of Statler and Waldorf together, 
and just became a huge, allegedly, a-hole to everyone that he worked with. He apparently made a lot of outrageous demands. The articles I read didn't really specify what those were exactly, but he seemed to run around, allegedly, with the attitude of, I'm Kermit the Frog, and you need to you know, kiss my froggy butt for some reason, that kind of thing. Kermit, of course, is the iconic front frog for you know, the Muppets Empire, and I guess if you're the voice of that character, maybe that puts you in a powerful position. But just recently, I guess, Disney, who owns uh, the Muppets now, had had enough, and they let him go. Actually, this happened back in October, but I guess it's just making news now. They claim he was engaging in unacceptable business conduct. Um, Whitmer was interviewed recently in the New York Times, and he feels, obviously, hugely slighted. He thinks it was totally unfair. He thinks, and doesn't really specify a whole lot, but he basically characterizes the differences that they had as things that could have been easily resolved if they would just talk to him, but instead they fired him. Um, he says in the interview, uh, in it, an interview with Hollywood Reporter, that he was let go by Disney for two reasons. Um, unwanted notes during the short-lived Muppets reboot on ABC and a union disagreement. News of his termination came to light after months of being told he was going to be honored for his contributions to the Muppets and the hope of working on issues with Disney Brass. You guys might remember there was a one-season show a couple years ago called The Muppets on ABC. I kind of liked the show. It was troubled from the start. It was clear they were trying to do something very different with The Muppets than we've seen in recent decades, frankly. If you're a longtime fan of The Muppets and have sort of followed you know, and read up on Jim Henson, or if you're old enough to remember when The Muppets you know, originally started to appear way back in the day in, in commercials and stuff in the 50s and 60s, uh, you know, the early proto-Muppets, um, you know that Jim Henson's original intent was that these were characters for to appeal to adults with uh, an adult humor that had an adult sensibility. Uh, still a lot of fun in play, but then he got involved with Sesame Street when it started in the early 70s, uh, late 60s, early 70s, and developed Muppets for them. And then over time, in people's minds, the Muppets... That, that became what they thought of when they thought of Muppets. were sort of the, the preschool kid-friendly puppets. So, and occasionally, Henson would try to do something that sort of broke away from that. They were on Saturday Night Live for a while in the 70s. There were other things here and there that he tried to do to, to bring the Muppets back to their original concept. It never quite worked. Uh, they tried it again with this TV show a couple years ago where some of the humor, a lot of the humor, was more aimed at adults it was still the Muppets interacting with interacting with live action with, with humans, sort of behind the scenes of a of a TV show hosted by Miss Piggy. The second half of this of the season I thought was better than the first, not coincidentally because they brought in a different showrunner. And I thought they were st- finally starting to figure out how to do it in, in a way that didn't make the Muppets come off as sort of depressed and and too serious. Uh, the second half they were able to have more fun, but still keep that adult sensibility. And I thought they were they were on their way to doing something kind of interesting, but then they got canceled. So anyway, apparently for the last 27 years, Steve Whitmer allegedly has been just a big jerk. Uh, again, th- these articles that I read don't really specify how, but they finally fired him. So a guy named uh, a puppeteer named Matt Vogel will be the voice of Kermit now. Whitmer also did Ernie, Rizzo the Rat, and Statler at one time or another. I don't I gather. Maybe someone else is already doing those voices. I don't know. Because this article doesn't say 
who's going to do those voices. There's another article that just came out around the same time recently where you have Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son, who's chairman of Jim Henson Company, sort of, now that this has come out, he kind of speaks out too, and he says, well, when he sold Muppets to Disney in 2004, it's kind of fun. He's like, I feel really bad because he sent, he, he included Steve Whitmer in the package, uh, of course, as the voice of Kermit, and he's like, I should have fired that guy before we sold it to Disney. So, you know, sorry, Disney. Uh, he actually seems to feel kind of bad because he says that Whitmer was kind of a jerk even then. You know, the article starts out with Henson saying that he really doesn't want to talk about this, and he feels bad that this has even become a public issue, but, you know, here it is. You know, from Henson's perspective, what happened was, you know, he's he says that for a long time he's been very supportive of Disney in saying, look, if you guys want to recast Kermit, get somebody else to do the voice, I'm totally behind you, and, you know, and I'll give you whatever help I can, because the character is, is better served, to remove the by removing this destructive energy around it. Whitmer says, according to this article, Whitmer says he was fired over giving character notes during the short-lived Muppets reboot and the union issue. I mentioned that earlier. Whitmer says, you know, he respects everybody involved in the creation of, of the series. Uh, he loves the Muppets. Brian Henson, uh, along with his mother Jane, you know, Jim's wife, handpicked Whitmer to take over as Kermit in, 19, in 1990 when Jim Henson died. But, you know, after that, he had to talk to Whitmer a lot over the years about unprofessional conduct outrageous and appalling communications with colleagues. You know, Whitmer was a great puppeteer and impersonator, but made outrageous demands. You know, again, no specifics given, but other than sort of a general sense of Whitmer acting like, well, I'm Kermit, and, you know, you have to suck up to me. And he also kind of thinks that Kermit, as a character, quote, flattened out over time has become too square and not as vital as it should have been. So it's kind of sad. Um, I thought, you know, the, the stuff that I saw... Of Kermit over the years since Jim Henson died, I thought the voice was good. I never thought, you know, well, that was not as good as Jim Henson, but uh, certainly it was slightly different. If you watched enough Muppets, you know that it's slightly different, of course, but uh, I thought it was really good. I'm a Muppet fan. I continue to be a Muppet fan. It's just kind of sad to hear, you know, something like the Muppets you picture as being this sunny, happy, everybody's goofing around, behind the scenes kind of thing, and maybe this just kind of gives you a peek that even the most idyllic-sounding workplaces aren't necessarily that great when you actually start digging into it. Well, I could do a whole podcast about the Muppets, but I won't. What else we got going on in the news? I'm excited about this. I'll just mention it quick. Turns out, time travel might actually be possible. Uh, some mathematicians have done some studies. They've put the uh, done some numbers crunching, and they are saying that as a mathematical concept, time travel is doable. Of course, that's a whole lot different than running out and building a time machine and you know, going back to uh, ask your mother out to the prom, you know, that kind of thing. But they're saying as a matter of you know, mathematics, there is a way to do it. Um, so I'm, as, a, as a nerd, as a human, as a Doctor Who fan, uh, I'm excited whenever I hear anything that even remotely suggests that time travel is possible. I do worry, though, that in a world where we can do, as a people, do really, really colossally stupid things. Giving us the keys to a time machine seems like just a really bad idea. But that's a discussion for another day. So for now, rest assured, yes, time machines are possible. I don't know about that, but time travel is possible. So hit me up on Facebook or send me an email or something if you have built a time machine. Yeah, I mean, heck, you could send me an email a year ago if you want. That would be cool. Okay, so enough of all this other stuff. Let's talk about this week's game. This week's game is Crystal Castles. Ooh. 
I don't know why I did that little noise. It's not a haunted house story. But that is our game, Crystal Castles, uh, an Atari game from 1983. Crystal Castles, we're told, is the amazing, get it, amazing, adventures of Bentley Bear. A bearable tale. Once upon a time, Bentley Bear was rambling through the woods, daydreaming about poached salmon. He stopped to take a nap in his favorite hollow tree trunk. But when he awoke, he found himself inside a huge castle glittering with diamonds, emeralds, and pearls. And also, we're guessing uh, green clover, blue diamonds, you know, frosted lucky charms. They're magically delicious. Though Bentley didn't know it at the time, he was trapped in Crystal Castles, home of Berthilda, the witch, and her evil cronies. To escape their spell, he must harvest the gems in the castle before Berthilda and her malicious gang send him into permanent hibernation. That sounds like a great tagline for a, an AMC show. You know, like a follow-up to Breaking Bad or something. If Bentley Bear crosses the wrong crony, he'll end up in permanent hibernation. Next week on AMC. How to play Crystal Castles. Insert the uh, the cartridge into the thing. Uh, plug the joystick in. We're using the joystick for this one. Use a joystick to guide Brentley through each castle. He picks up magic gems simply by running over them. He must also avoid the deadly touch of the evil inhabitants of the castle by jumping over them. Press the red joystick button, and Bentley jumps in the direction the joystick is pointing. Press Game Select to return to the title screen. Press Game Reset or your joystick button to start the game again. Uh, set difficulty switch to A to play the hard version. B for the easy version. I think in the field report I played the hard version, which maybe was a mistake. And you'll understand that after you listen to the field report. Uh, TV type switch has no function in this game. You begin Crystal Castles at level 1 through 8. But Bentley can trample through level after level as long as he survives his enemies. Each level has four castles. Bentley has five lives and must outmaneuver a maximum of seven creatures, depending on the castle. At every 20,000 points, he wins an extra life. Bentley can make himself temporarily invincible if he dons the magic hat by running or jumping over it. Wherever a witch appears, so does the magic hat. When I played the field report, I didn't see a witch or a magic hat. No enemy can pass through this headgear. At game level 4 and above, the hat bounces up and down. At game level 9 and above, it turns into a crystal ball if Bentley doesn't grab it immediately. Gem eaters compete with Bentley for gems. As long as Bentley isn't wearing the hat, he can turn them into dust by running over them just as they swallow their lunch. Nasty trees make a beeline for Bentley as they gobble up gems. He can avoid these woody monsters by trapping them behind a wall or in a corner. Crystal balls also eat gems, because that makes sense. They chase Bentley just like nasty trees, but with a rolling motion. A pot of honey helps Bentley win extra points in several castles. Bentley should take a honey break as soon as possible, or... A swarm of bees flies down to protect the pot. If Bentley waits too long, the swarm returns again and again to track him down. If he takes too much time harvesting gems, the bees find him, whether or not the castle has a honey pot. Ghosts and skeletons move randomly, slowly, and over short distances. The witch's cauldron turns Bentley into bear stew. If he touches it, he can avoid this deadly pot by jumping over it. Berthilda the witch has a touch that's fatal, but Bentley can smash her if he's wearing the magic hat. The only thing predictable about her is her favorite snack, large furry mammals, served with a baronaise sauce. Ah, that's funny, I guess. Uh, you get a point for the first gem, two points for the second gem, and so on, up to 99 points per gem. Harvest the last gem in the castle, a thousand points, for the first castle, increasing 100 points in every castle thereafter. Don the magic hat for 500 points. Eat the honey for 1,000 points. Crush a gem eater, 500 points. Smash Berthilda the witch, 3,000 points. Bonus life at every 20,000 points. If Bentley harvests the last gem in the castles, he wins extra points. Elevators make perfect escape routes. However, they only operate one at a time. 
Bentley is invincible while he's jumping. Bentley can temporarily stun nasty trees and gem eaters by jumping over them, but this maneuver won't work if he's wearing the magic hat or while the gem eaters are swallowing gems. When floating scores appear on the scene, creatures can't move through them, nor can the creatures move through each other. I didn't see any of that in the field report. I was very confused. I guess I'm spoiling my review for later. I don't think that manual translates well to what you actually see on screen. Probably a limitation of, of the uh, graphics of the time. A common, though understood, complaint when you play these old games. So, Crystal Castles, the arcade game, came out in 1983. It's notable for being one of the first arcade action games with an actual ending, whereas most games of the time either continued indefinitely, ended in what was termed a kill screen, or simply just restarted from the first level. It's also the first game, apparently one of the first, to advance warp zones. It was the first game to use the Leta chip, a custom trackball controller chip designed by Scott Fuller. Bentley Bear was originally named Braveheart Bear in the released prototypes, but Atari was forced to change the name when advocates for Native Americans complained. It's been ported to the Apple II, the TRS-80, as Crystal Castles, with Crystal spelled C-R-Y-S-T-L-E, since apparently they couldn't spell. I don't know. Atari 2600, of course, Atari 8-bit, Atari ST, Commodore 64, BBC Micro, Acorn Electron, ZX Spectrum, Amstrad, CPC. It's been re-released on PC and Dreamcast, Windows, Xbox, and PlayStation 2, Xbox 360, and Windows. If anyone's played it on Xbox 360, let me know, because I have an Xbox 360, and I'm always looking for new and, honestly, cheap games uh, for the Xbox 360. So if anyone's played it, and if it's any good, because, again, spoiler... I don't really like this game on the Atari. Let me know, because I'm willing to give it another shot. Bentley Bear is also a playable character in the game Atari Karts for the Atari Jaguar. Bentley and Crystal Castles are referenced by Lupe Fiasco, coolest name ever, in his song Audubon Ballroom on his 2012 album Food and Liquor 2, the Great American Rap Album Part 1. Bentley makes a cameo appearance in the 2012 film Wreck-It Ralph. He can be seen at Game Central Station and at the Fix-It Felix 30th Anniversary Party. That's kind of cool. I have to go back and watch that movie again. AtariProtos.com says that uh, when the game first appeared in 1983, Crystal Castles amazed players with its sharp graphics and pseudo-3D mazes. Bringing a 3D-style game to the 2600 was thought to be impossible. But programmer Peter Needy, Nide proved to be up to the challenge. While it may not look exactly like its arcade counterpart, Crystal Castles is an amazing piece of programming and one of the top 2600 games of all time, not to mention my personal favorite, says this reviewer. Makes me kind of wonder if he and I were playing the same game. Using the exact same mazes as the arcade version would have been impossible on the 2600. The main problem with the arcade mazes were the small walkways and twisty passageways, which just weren't within the 2600's abilities. The 2600's background graphics are extremely low res. Therefore, Peter had to create several mazes for the 2600 version. The new mazes were very open and removed most of the small ramps and walkways, but were challenging nonetheless. Also taken out of the 2600 version was the trackball control scheme used by the arcade game. Very few 2600 games had trackball support. This wasn't much of a loss, and players found using a joystick made the game much easier. But the purists still complained, as purists are wont to do. I added that part. It's simply amazing how many levels and how much detail were crammed into a, a tiny 16K cart. Crystal Castle's liberal use of pseudo-3D really makes it unique among 2600 games. Top-notch graphics and awesome gameplay helped make Crystal Castles one of the top 2600 games of all time. Seriously? Again, are we playing the same game? Okay, well this may explain one confusion I had. So, throughout the maze, and I'm looking at it on the screen right now, there are all these little things that look like ladders. But actually, those are the elevators, apparently. 
and this review on GameFAQs.com explains that the elevators look more like ladders than anything. The ladders have a line that goes up and down them every few seconds, which I didn't notice when I was playing. When Bentley stands right under or over one of these contraptions, he will go down or up at the same time that the elevator rises or lowers. Bentley does have to wait for the elevators to come down, or go up, which can sometimes be frustrating in later levels in which enemies are faster and more numerous, but he won't have to step inside of them, pull any levers or push any electrical buttons. Um, this reviewer says that Crystal Castles has a great challenge, but the game is not overly difficult, at least not to the point where it makes you want to throw the controller down. Curse the innocent television screen or never play the game again once you're through. Again, I don't think we're playing the same game. This guy says it's an all-time favorite too. I don't understand. It's a visually impressive game. One of the most visually impressive for the 2600. Audio isn't bad either. I like the audio. I'll give him that. The controls are flawless. The control is responsive. Even if you're real familiar with the Atari 2600 and many of its games, it will probably be hard for you to believe that the creators could fit so many levels, graphics, fun, etc. into just one cartridge like they did with these castles made of crystal. Five stars. Uh, apparently I'm a moron, because I hate this game. I don't get it at all. It looks, to me, it looks terrible. Except the bear, he's kind of cute. And I found it awkward to move around, and I couldn't get out of this level, and the bad guys didn't make any sense. So, alright, just buckle up, because we're going to do the field report here in a minute. After the break, bears who live in crystal castles shouldn't throw stones. On second thought, they can do whatever the hell they want. They're bears. Bentley the bear... Bentley the bear, cuddly little fluffy witch killing Bentley the bear, cousin to Winnie with his flinging poo, the Berenstain bear is staining the place up, whatever that bear's name is in the Jungle Book. Amongst all of those, nay, above all of those, you have the Witch Slayer, Bentley the bear. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Scott some catchy opening music. Uh, Bentley is adorable. Yeah, she looks a lot like Winnie the Pooh. Um, he's being chased around by these dudes who look like Evil Otto, wearing a lot of uh, pancake makeup, like uh, a 1920s film diva. He's picking up pellets that look like uh, Pac-Man pellets, and I guess he's getting points for them, but he can't pick them all up. I'm very confused. I don't understand this castle. Sometimes the evil 1920s autos are flashing, sometimes they're not. It doesn't seem to matter. They kill him no matter what if he touches them. I'm very confused. I don't know how to get off this level. There are things that look like ladders, but they don't go anywhere. It's like the bridge to nowhere in Alaska. That's an old political reference for you guys. Hope you appreciate that. Let me out. He jumps really well. I'll give him that. Um, I'm not loving this game so far, uh, to be totally honest. And I'm dead again. I got my last little bear here. No! Music aside, that kind of sucked. Back to you in the studio. So here's the thing about Crystal Castles. I hate this game. I don't mean like, 
Amadar hatred. Because I hate Armadar just because it's a stupid game. This one I don't think is a stupid game. I think it's a great idea for a game. And I have no doubt that the arcade version was amazing to look at in 1983 in play. Crystal Castles, I think the translation to the Atari 2600, uh, even though I've never seen the arcade version, I think the translation is horrible. I don't get it. It's confusing. I don't even feel like if I sat here for the rest of the afternoon and played it that I would get it any better than I do now. I hate this game. I really, really viscerally hate it. I will probably calm down about that later, after the caffeine from the coffee that I'm drinking wears off. But I don't like it. If any of you can convince me to like it, send me an email, or hit me up on Twitter or Facebook or something. Or an audio submission, if you like, so that you can actually yell at me. Because, at least based on those two reviews that I read, clearly I am missing something. But what I'm not missing is the secret, untold world that's happening within the Crystal Castles. I know what the story is in this game. And I'm going to share it with you right now. Bentley is a haunted bear. Haunted by a past he can't change and a future he can't bear. Pardon the pun. He stumbles through his days fighting the addiction that has robbed him of his dignity. The monkey on his back is poached salmon. And it smells so good. Sheriff John Brown always hated Bentley. For what? I don't know. But every time that he'd plant a seed, the sheriff would kill it before it could grow. He'd say kill it before it grow. To be fair, Bentley planted seeds by eating stuff and then them out in the woods where they lived. Damn it, Bentley, the sheriff would say. That's disgusting. But you could hardly blame Bentley Bear for in the woods. It's what bears do. If you've ever heard a joke, you know that. So, Bentley was surprised when Sheriff John Brown came round one day. Haven't touched a salmon in months, Bentley said. You got nothing on me. No, the sheriff said. But I got something for you. Then he flopped his massive coho on the table. All this is for you if you do one more job for us. I don't touch salmon no more. Yeah, right, the sheriff sneered. A bear that doesn't eat salmon. And the Pope isn't Catholic either. Bentley started to walk away. The sheriff called after him. It's Berthilda, he said. She's making trouble again. The coarse fur on the back of Bentley's neck stood up and listened. What's that got to do with me? You know damn well what. The sheriff inched the salmon a bit closer to Bentley. We need you to get inside the castle and steal the jewels and gems before Berthilda uses them to destroy the town. At the mention of that name again, a low growl rumbles up from a particularly dark place in Bentley's soul. He bites it back as he had for so much of his life. Finally, he says, Not my problem. But then, a shot rings out. A passing villager screams out, She shot the sheriff! But she didn't shoot the deputy! Yep, I'm okay, Deputy Do-Right calls out through a mouthful of salted caramel biscotti. As Sheriff John Brown crumples to the ground at Bentley's feet, he points at Bentley and manages to croak. I always hated you. For what? I don't know, the sheriff says, and dies. Bentley curls clawed paws into tight fists and screams at the sky. Why? More death. First Tom Turtle, Gavin Goat, Ophelia Octopus, and Cubert. Now Sheriff John Brown. Sure, he hated Bentley Bear. But that at least is some sort of emotion in Bentley's direction, unlike every other being in his life. This had to stop. It was time to go to the castle and face down Berthilda, once and for all. But first, lunch. After some berries and a couple of honeypots, Bentley made for the castle. No trouble getting in. It's easy when you have the passcode, because it was you and another life who programmed it. Inside, things were a little hairier, and not just because it was shedding season. Bentley screamed, Berthilda! 
A fusillade of emeralds rained down on Bentley. He sidestepped and ducked behind a stuffed satellite TV salesman. He counted to five and stuck up one massive paw, just as a spray of rubies pelted down. Cut it out, Berthilda. I know all your tricks. From the shadows, the old crone calls back. Pipe down, Junior. Don't call me that, please. Be proud of your name, boy. My name is Bentley. The old woman cackles, steps into the light. We named the dog Bentley. A magic hat floats down, but it's just out of Bentley's reach. Got a lot of fond memories of that dog, Bentley says. Berthilda plucks something from her teeth, examines it, then shrugs and swallows. Be kind to your mother, Sonny. Give your old mom a hug. Berthilda stretches out gnarled, twisted limbs. No way Bentley is falling for that. A mother's touch can be deadly. You shot the sheriff, Bentley says. But I didn't shoot the deputy. You shot the sheriff. And it was a capital offense, Berthilda says. By which I mean, bitch in capital A, awesome. Way more fun than shooting this guy. She gestures at the satellite salesman who whimpers a little. Three evil cronies wheel in their... Strike that. Three evil cronies wheel in three bubbling cauldrons. Sonny dear, want some stew? Bentley Bear bears his fangs in a smirk. Well, I don't know, he said. Let me see. He makes a big show of walking up to each cauldron examining the noxious contents. Holds a paw over the steam, then snatches it away. This stew is too hot, he says. He walks to the next cauldron and gingerly touches the rim. He shudders. This stew is too cold. He walks over to the third cauldron. He inhales deeply, never mind the disturbing purple-black sludge burbling within. Ah, but this one? This one is just right. Points a claw that trembles just a little. Join me, won't you, Mom? In one surprisingly fluid motion for one built so bear-like, Bentley leaps up and grabs hold of a string of pearls passing overhead and uses them to swing over to the magic hat, scoop up the hat with the other paw, plop it on his head, and swing back around, kicking out with his back feet, tipping all three cauldrons in succession. The conjoined river of chunky hatred heads straight for the only other vessel in the room that could contain that much hatred. Berthilda. I'm melting! Berthilda screams as she is engulfed in icky stew. I had a job to do, Mom, Bentley says. You might say it was a bear witch project. The evil cronies turn and run. Bentley grabs a paw full of magic gems out of the air, and their combined power restores Berthilda to a much less puddle-like state. She looks defiant at first, but Bentley points a particularly threatening cubic zirconium in her direction, and she stands down. Should have burned the forest when I had a chance, she pouts. Well, Bentley Bear says, I guess only I can prevent forest fires. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can email Atari Bytes at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Show notes, other episodes, and other links are found at ataribytes.lipson.com. Also, I would add in the show notes for this episode. Find the show on Stitcher, Google Play Music, iTunes, all of those usual places. When the option is offered, <coughs> iTunes, do please serve up a steaming plate of salmon-flavored podcast review. The scent will help attract other bears to the podcast. Like the show on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And do also please consider supporting the show financially on our Patreon page and by shopping at our Zazzle.com store 
capital A, capital B, underscore, pod, underscore, store. Links to both of those things are in the show notes as well. Also, check out my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your Linus, Snoopy, Charlie Brown, Lucy, Peppermint Patty, Marcy, Franklin, Schroeder, Pitpen, Roy, Bell, Woodstock, Harriet, Five, Charlotte Braun, and let's say Spike Needs. New episodes of It's Podcast Charlie Brown drop on the 15th of every month. If you're ever a fan of the animated specials or the comic strip, or if you just had a really cool Snoopy plush toy that you liked when you were a kid, check out the show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Yeah, I guess that's all I got to say about that. Next time on Atari Bytes, we're doing another Conversation Bytes segment next time on the podcast. I'm really excited about this. This time we're talking with Owen Marin, who is a comic book artist, and he is drawing the new Centipede comic. It was really fun to talk to him. I actually found out afterwards that I was his first audio interview that he's ever had, so I am proud of that. Uh, He was a really cool guy, uh, really fun to listen to. Um, You should check out the Centipede comic and then listen to the interview, or other way around if you like. Who am I to tell you what to do? So that's next week, Conversation Bites with Owen Marin. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, 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 oh,